0: Welcome to the Defense and Aerospace Report Podcast. I'm your host, Fago Maradian. Our podcast is brought to you by Bell since 1935. Bell has been redefining flight. Learn more about its pioneering spirit at bellflight.com. Later in the program, the array of financial sanctions being imposed on Russia in the wake of Vladimir Putin's invasion of Ukraine and what the West has to do to ensure that every single backdoor around the world uh, is closed. But first joining me is my good friend, But first, joining me is my good friend Byron Callen of the independent Washington research firm Capital Alpha Partners uh, to join us to uh, discuss whatever's on his mind and take a look at the week ahead. Byron, it's great having you back on the program. What a week, Fargo. What a a week indeed. Uh, I know that you've got a little countdown clock on. Uh, how long it's been uh, since, uh, unfortunately, Russia's invasion of Ukraine uh, began, and it certainly has been an extraordinary uh, period. But before we get started, uh, Leonardo DRS sponsors our global coverage, Northrop Grumman sponsors our weekly cyber report and our cyber coverage overall, and General Atomics Aeronautical System sponsors our coverage of strategy. Uh, Byron, you know, as we started this off, you've got a little countdown clock. Uh, first, let's talk a little bit about Russian uh, performance, right? I mean, you've been handicapping, and I want to get into percentages on how long you think the conflict is is, is going to last? But just give us your quick take on you know w- what you think of Russian performance. Uh, obviously, the world has been somewhat surprised, uh, but the Russians are also known to be wheeling in some extra capability and are becoming more indiscriminate. Uh, a housing complex was hit uh, shortly before we started this interview. Sort of walk us through where we are at, at whatever hour of this campaign well, we're it, in right now. Yeah,
1: we're we're you know literally 110 hours since. The offensive was launched. Uh, this is local time in Kiev on uh, on the 24th of February. So it's early um, in some ways. On the other hand, you know, and I don't think I'm saying anything unique. There there's some really glaring and surprising shortcomings that the Russians are evidencing in this, from logistics, <clears throat> from the fact that they still haven't established air supremacy. Um, the kind of penny packet usage of, of tactical forces, you know, they've made progress in the south, uh, certainly, you know, some of the advance rates are kind of decent by historic metrics. Um, but in the north and in the east, it's still a slog. And obviously, some of this is, is the Ukrainian uh, defense and, and, you know, the stout fight that they're putting up. But I think going into this, you know, if you looked at these matchups, you would have said, ah, the, Ukraine, the, the Russians should be able to handle these uh, Ukrainian defenses far better than they're, in fact, evidencing. And I suppose the other interesting development is going to be, you know, when Belarusian troops enter the fray in western Ukraine, um, and I think whatever Russia and Belarus, frankly, try and do to limit the flow of Western-supplied kit to uh, to the Ukrainian military, particularly in the eastern part of the country. So. There's a lot we still don't know about VAGO. I mean, I'm still very intrigued. We just haven't seen much, if anything, on Ukrainian casualties and equipment losses, which I have to believe are as significant as what we're seeing on the Russian side. Um, and we still really don't know what the disposition of Ukrainian forces is and, and what their logistics uh, picture is. So th- there's, you know, but but bottom line, You know, the the unity that's been shown by Europe, the the announcement by Germany on on their big, really an amazing about face on defense spending and fiscal constraint. Um, The, uh, you know, the performance of the Russian military with this very harsh uh, array of sanctions. I keep calling it economic warfare, not just sanctions. It really does suggest uh, some very different potential outcomes from this more than what i had been thinking about a week ago today.
0: And, and there's no denying, right, one of the uh, moves that I think most probably got Russian attention was the move by Switzerland uh, to freeze the assets of not just Putin, Lavrov, uh, but as well as uh, 367 uh, other Russians um, uh, uh, sanctioned by the European Union, uh, which uh, everybody has really regarded as a watershed moment because the Swiss do have quite a lot of uh, Russian uh, assets uh, in, in their banks. Um, I want to go to you uh, your gaming how long this would take right i mean you thought that there you know on, on when you wrote on uh, february the 12th i think it was you gave it sort of a 55% chance that the war ends uh by orthodox uh easter which is april the 24th uh and um a, a 25 and you now have a 25% chance that uh ukraine might actually uh win this sort of walk us through you know where you are on those percentages
1: yeah and by winning it well that that's i i think 40% you know, that Russia achieves its broad goals. Now this is, you know, major combat operations, not counterinsurgency, but you know, if their broad goal here was regime change and major combat operations to destroy the conventional uh, Ukrainian military, you know, I dropped that from 55% to 40%, but then I kind of added or tweaked a a 30% outcome that there's a negotiated settlement here. I think it's going to be very interesting as the Russians employ, what looks like indiscriminate uh, fires against Ukrainian population centers, you know, that's something that Ukraine's gonna have to weigh. You know, is it worth um, keeping the regime intact, not the regime, the government intact in Ukraine, but you know, trying to set up a neutral state, uh, or you know, this 25% outcome, which is Russia just fails miserably at this whole uh, endeavor. They're heavily sanctioned and and that kind of uh, as well. And that opens up a kind of a secondary uh, part of that 25% probability, which is I I really wonder how long Putin would survive as a leader of Russia in that scenario. Um, It may not happen immediately. It may be something that plays out over 2022 and 2023. But it's kind of like Khrushchev, you know, after rolling the dice in the Cuban Missile Crisis in 1962. He eventually, you know, was kind of ushered out in 1964, I think, in part because of the embarrassment that he brought on the Soviet military.
0: Um, so so what are you yet wargaming, right? I mean, because folks are asking whether or not Putin is going to survive. Obviously, there are a lot of tools at his disposal. My guess is he, he does a nuclear weapon test. Some people suggest that's why he sees Ukraine, excuse me, sees uh, Chernobyl. He can do it in the Far East somewhere. Um, and you know, in order to be able to telegraph it, because I think he he is he is surprised in terms of how we're pushing back at this point. Are you gaming the likelihood he survives this one way or another? I mean, no, oh, I mean it's kind of part of that
1: twenty five percent probability outcome. I just don't know. You know, if if you have, you know, the Russian economy wrecked, um, the Russian military. Uh, suffering, you know, a major defeat, I mean, almost akin to, it would be worse in 1939 against Finland, because, I mean, they, they kind of, you know, got a resolution of that conflict uh, after heavy Russian losses, but with some concessions from the Finns. Uh, but that, that 25% scenario is, it just, and I don't know, you know, I don't know who, <clears throat> there's no one obvious, you know, kind of a, a ready opposition figure in waiting, is it Navalny? You know, if he survives this, um, you know, we we could enter a very dark um and volatile period here for Russia. But you always wonder, you know, is there a group of oligarchs who find people in security forces that, hey, we really need to change this quickly? And this guy has lost his mind, and uh the fate of the country is is uh is at risk here and it's time to move. Um and I don't, you know, where that goes, and that's kind of I think everybody just needs to be thinking in as a wide range of scenarios as they can right now, and then start establishing, well, what are some of the markers that might, you know, you're going to have, this is more of a market sentiment, but it matters from a corporate uh, and even a government standpoint. You're going to have to start thinking ahead of where some of these likely outcomes are going to be and what are the markers you're going to look for to raise or lower your confidence in, in a particular outcome.
0: Um, well, look, I mean, this is uh, increasingly becoming almost like a death of Stalin kind of thing, you know, at, yeah. at what point does, you know, I mean, there were rumors that Gerasimov had been sacked, but at some point, right, uh, does, does the army, you know, kind of intervene in this, especially, for example, if Putin uh, does, you know, say, hey, you know, execute a nuclear strike, are the people around him going to go, yeah, okay, boss, uh, sure thing, or go, okay, this is, this has gone far enough, uh, and and sort of resolve it at least that that could be it. that could be a, a fantasy uh scenario right there or or maybe reality um let me ask you 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 think I want to get to the the week in a, in a second uh, the week ahead but you've you've actually written that you know um not that you're being unnecessarily bearish, but actually think about this, right? I mean, everybody's had this sense that this is positive for defense. We're talking about more than $800 billion uh, in U.S. defense is becoming a consensus, if, if, if not even higher than that. You have $100 billion pledged by the Germans, uh, including a 2% GDP, right up from 1.4% GDP for defense spending. Others are expected to follow suit across Europe. Uh, but you think that actually, depending on how this breaks, this could actually be a negative for defense. Uh, no, spending. No, What's no, again, it's
1: just one scenario, you know, I'm, ju- I'm just trying to get people to think here. Uh, I, I don't think it's, you know, it's a high probability scenario, but it is an option to ponder. And, uh, and partly it's just a response to the, particularly the European defense stocks, I think Hensold is up 35% today, uh, you know, that's one of the few real pure play uh, European defense stocks there is. you know, Saab is finally catching. Um, A a couple of good bids here. Uh, And, you know, the Swiss, the Swedes had announced, um, you know, an increase in their defense spending, again, on kind of more immediate readiness related items. But, you know, there is an outcome here uh, that I just discussed, which is a change in government in Russia, you know, some kind of of, uh, improved relations with the West. Um, You know, there'd have to be a fund to help rebuild Ukraine. Uh, and just a very different outcome from a, a global geopolitical standpoint. Uh, that is one of multiple axes. But I think in the rush that we've seen into defense stocks, you know, you, you got to sit back and say, I'll go back to the, you know, opening comment, we're, we're only 111 hours old in this thing. Um, and, you know, to kind of draw a straight line trajectory between you know, Russia and Ukraine and massively higher defense spending in Europe and the United States As a result of that. Well, there are an awful lot of, of t- twists and turns that could, could frankly confound that outcome. And I think the other obvious thing to watch is, you know, look, if I'm China, I, I've got to be keenly interested in what's, what's going on with Russia. Because um, if, if, if you do have that change in Russia, you know, it's another subset. Does it make China more belligerent or does it force the Chinese to maybe step back and, and buy their time uh, while they build their defenses or, you know, take maybe a different approach than the fairly aggressive stance they've had against Taiwan? These are all imponderables, but you just need to start thinking through these, these very different set of scenarios and what they might be.
0: We've got about a minute left. Uh, walk us uh, through on the week and just letting our audience know that we are going to be covering uh, the Air Warfare Symposium down in sunny uh, Orlando. Take it away for other big events that you're going to be paying attention to over the week.
1: Um, there are a number of pop up events, obviously on Russia Ukraine. I would just check with the think tanks on that. Uh, you're starting to see, you know, House Armed Services Committee is having some oversight hearings on the FY23 budget. The President's State of Union is going to be interesting in how he frames Ukraine. And also, you know, kind of frankly, does this whole uh, set of events help or hurt his popularity and what that might mean for the 2022 midterms and then obviously the 2024 election? Um, And uh, yeah, to to your point, you know, the the Air Force Association Warfare Symposium, at the end of the week will be interesting, not, not just for what's said about Russia-Ukraine, but you know, are there other are there other things that uh, that they're looking at? I, I will say, you know, in the context of Russia-Ukraine, Vago, you know, a week ago, week and a half ago, I was thinking, oh, we're going to have some lessons learned from this, you know, the Russians are gonna demonstrate some military competencies. And it's really looking like a very different set of, of lessons learned uh the, that are emerging from this. And, and so that's gonna be intriguing to see, you know, what what air force leadership says about, about Russian capacities and capabilities.
0: Um, And uh, very quickly, how would you grade the administration and how it's been handling this?
1: Um, You know, personally, I think very well, uh, the, the mustering of the international alliance against Russia is really quite stunning. Um, The economic sanctions, uh, you know, they're finally moving. You could argue, was it too little, too late? Well, there are a lot of people in that same boat, including Zelensky in Ukraine. Uh, but uh, I, I think you know they've gotten they've gotten very high marks from, for me at least. Now, the, the problem you have got, you know, there's still a large part of the U.S. population that you know Ukraine, Russia is kind of a, a you know minor nothing. They're gonna they're gonna look at you know if they see five dollar gas at the pump. that's something that uh, the administration may have a a tough time with. Uh,
0: And indeed, uh, rising inflation, even if uh, wages uh, and the like uh, are going up. Byron, thanks very much for joining us. Always a pleasure having you on the program uh, and looking forward to having you back on again soon. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot, Vago. All right. And a word from our sponsors, GM Defense sponsors our technology coverage, and L3Harris sponsors our coverage of joint all-domain command and control. And joining us now is Dr. David Asher. A senior fellow at the Hudson Institute think tank focused on economic security matters. He's one of the world's leading experts on sanctions, having been the architect of the Bush administration's targeting of Banco Delta Asia in Macau, that proved so devastating it prompted China and Russia to pressure North Korea into denuclearization talks. He also served in the Obama administration to craft sanctions that destroyed the financial capabilities of the ISIS terror group. David, great to have you on the program. Uh, it's been too long. Oh,
2: Vago, great to be here. Thank you. Uh,
0: An absolute uh, pleasure. You and I uh, have talked about this uh, issue over the years, that sanctions come in two varieties. One is little more than international theater, while the other ones actually can be very targeted, very effective. Uh, The United States has brought together the European Union, Japan, Australia, other allies around the world, and and everybody has imposed an extraordinary series of sanctions uh, on Russian banks, including the central banks, um, individuals, including Putin, and more than 350 others, plus transportation, uh, shipping, flight, sports bans, uh, and just today, Switzerland uh, delivered what can only be regarded as a bit of a nuclear weapon, uh, financially speaking, in that it would freeze the assets of Putin, Lavrov, and 367 others sanctioned by the EU. Indeed, now uh, some of those very oligarchs are saying, "Hey, wait a minute, it's time to give peace a chance. Uh, things have gone far enough." How how effective are the measures that have been announced? Uh, over the course of the past week by
2: the president, the EU, and our other allies? The uh, immediate effect is quite devastating, actually, and uh, probably uh, uh, only going to get worse as these sanctions actually are implemented. There's a period of time, uh, uh, generally, that banks have uh, to get uh, prepared to implement the sanctions, as well as other asset managers and financial intermediaries. So, And multinational companies that do business, uh, you know, like Boeing and others do business with uh, Russian airlines. So all of this is going to be affected uh, and and is affected, but it's going to be more permanently affected uh, very soon uh, unless the Russians change uh, the way they're heading and uh, actually come to the negotiating table and, uh, you know, withdraw forces. Uh, You know, this is a this is a an economic wall that will be. uh, very difficult for the Russians to uh, deal with, uh, given its comprehensiveness.
0: Um, the energy sector has been exempted, uh, and uh, that's uh, potentially good for Putin in the, in the near term, obviously, as energy prices go up. Uh, on the other hand, um, you know one of the reasons we did that is that Europe is uh, unfortunately too dependent on Russian energy. Was that a good idea, or should energy also be sanctioned, or would you put that into the next bucket of actions, given that the administration and the EU have been talking to uh, uh, the Middle East to try to get a replacement uh, sources of energy?
2: Well, I mean, it, it is still wintertime in, in uh, Europe. It's not uh, as cold as it is in December and January, but, uh, you know, we'll still, we're still uh, you know, Germans are still facing temperatures in the 30s uh, in, in uh, Fahrenheit. So, you know, Uh, I think that the uh, energy sector may not be exempted by Putin soon, but uh, uh, it's gonna be up to him to decide if he wants to cut off the Europeans from gas and oil exports as his counterstrike. But for the US to do it, I think initially it makes sense to avoid it Um, because what we're doing is we're targeting the key uh, nodes of wealth management for the Russian state and for Putin himself. Um, Those are being hit hard technically in terms of just where the the executive orders and sanctions uh, pursuant to them apply. So, you know, the Russia's Russia's stock of wealth. okay, the money that the the regime can rely on uh, is being uh, uh, attacked assiduously. The flow of wealth i.e., coming from energy sales is is not. But it's going to be very difficult to do anything with that money they're producing. Uh, to buy anything outside of Russia, for example, it's going to be extremely difficult. So, you know, the money is just sort of collecting its way uh, in a sort of escrow accounts, in effect, uh, to the extent the Europeans are paying for it. Um, it's, I'm not even certain that they're going to be able to get the money back to Russia very easily, given the sanctions that have been uh, 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 created against the central financial management bodies of the Russian state, including the central bank. So yeah, the Russians are still earning money on paper and the Europeans are still purchasing uh, energy to keep themselves warm, but it's not uh, particularly relevant to the survival of Vladimir Putin and his regime at this stage.
0: Um, how would you escalate this, right? I mean, there's a concern uh, Putin is already pl- trying to play the nuclear card. Um, I think what happened from Switzerland today certainly has gotten everybody's attention. I mean, in- if I was an oligarch with ill-gotten gains, David, and was parking it in, <laughs> in Euros uh, and in Switzerland in the anticipation that, that my money would be safe, uh, I, we may have crossed uh, a Rubicon. How much more can we do if necessary at this point, right? Or have we played almost all of our cards? As, as no. somebody who's expert, how much more powder do we have in it's the magazine? a lot more
2: and... because if you look now with the Swiss on board, which is truly historic, I mean, I... I... I, I certainly didn't expect it to happen. Uh, obviously the Russians have, have outraged Europeans at large so much that even the Swiss, with their bank secrecy laws uh, and their incredible relationship with Russian oligarch capital capital, including Putin's uh, daughter and uh, family members, um, uh, you know who have large accounts there, um, uh, their cooperation, if it's to be taken as seriously as it sounds, could lead to very precision guided attack vectors as you military uh, folks would say, against the finances of the key Putin money like uh, uh, Yuri Kovalchak, who is uh, sort of his bag man for for Putin's own finances. He's been sanctioned for several years, but uh, he has got a large network of companies that operate uh, through uh, Swiss banks I'm looking at them right now in Sayari, uh, the data tool that I helped start and it's interesting I mean there's just a wide network of companies uh dozens that seem to have uh activity uh, in Switzerland or, 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 or essentially fronts set up in Switzerland so the, the 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 key now is to do much like we did against Slobodan Milosevic years ago uh, we got to we got to look for where these uh, actors have their money and we, and to the extent it's in any place that has agreed to cooperate, uh, we need to tell them exactly what we would like them to do, uh, pursuant to their commitment to crack down on uh, Russia's finances. And that would be to freeze and potentially even legally try to forfeit accounts, uh, the legally forfeit parts going to require law enforcement actions, which is a big thing that I see lacking so far um, uh, you know, it, it, would, it would be great uh, to get uh, law enforcement involved in, in some of this because uh, there is a lot of illicit activities producing revenue for these individuals, including just their own money laundering uh, uh, and pilfering of money from the uh, Russian state itself. Um, you uh, sent me an article by Paul Krugman from last week where he noticed uh, that there's, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars over the last uh, decade of, of money that should have been, uh, accumulating in Russian uh, uh, you know uh, central bank reserves for example which are nowhere to be found so they had these huge export surpluses but they don't you don't see a build up uh, a proportional buildup in the amount of money in their uh, foreign exchange reserves for example so where's that money going it's going into the pockets of these oligarchs offshore that are basically holding it for Putin Putin says he's not reliant on money he doesn't care about money I say that's poppycock. The guy's, he's, he, he has a, a network of people who care. And one of them, of course, is Sergei Nerishkin, who's the head of his intelligence service, the former KGV, the Foreign Intelligence Service of Russia. Um, he's got a huge network of companies uh, that go on uh, through a number of uh, sort of nonprofit looking organizations like his Diplomatic Culture and Leisure uh, um, non-profit organization it's called and in, in, in translated in English and one's called the Russian Historical Society. They all own companies. I mean you know you think Russian Historical Society you think it's innocuous. When you look at it it's not. It has a lot of museums and things that it owns um, that actually contain national wealth but then there's all these private uh, companies that invest in, uh, in minerals and oil and uh, financial transactions, uh, trading companies, for example, I mean, not what you'd expect from a nonprofit. So, you know, these guys have, they've, 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 they've they've got a uh, situation where they can run, but they can't hide if, if we're really serious, we need to have a uh, centrally controlled asset, uh, hunt. And indeed that's what the white house has just announced. So, um, uh, I look forward to seeing who's going to be put in charge of that. It needs to be someone who's, who has competence in this area. And it's, uh, uh, you know, having done it myself repeatedly, it's not that easy to know how to do it. Um, but we do have people in the intelligence community, and we have, do have people at Treasury who have experience. And uh, I want to give kudos to the Treasury team, uh, Wally uh, Adiomo, the uh, Deputy Secretary, who's really taking control, along with uh, my old friend uh, Elizabeth Rosenberg. She's done a fabulous job as Assistant Secretary for terrorism Finance and, and Financial Crime, and putting this together better than I thought. Actually, I mean, I, I, I was concerned we were going to look at a thing that looked like whack a mole last week. But um, they managed to put together <laughs> some interlocking uh, sanctions, which are, are, are really do constitute a sort of a, a wall of pressure. And it does have coherence. But now it's, it's going to be delved into details. These guys are going to start setting up companies left, right, and center to get around the sanctions, just like the Iranians did, and just like the Russians have done previously when they've been sanctioned, uh, such as in 2014. You know, so it's 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 this, this 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 is the beginning, not the end, of the pursuit of Vladimir Putin uh, uh, financially. And I think that's where this thing should focus. I think we need to focus on Putin, and, uh, you know, and his inner circle. Uh, I find it, uh, the work I did against the North Koreans, the work I did against the uh, the uh, ISIS leadership, the work I did against Al Qaeda, we focused on their chief money money management individuals uh, and administrative uh, functionaries. And when we uh, uh, either arrested them or physically eliminated them on the battlefield, as we did in Iraq versus ISIS, uh, they were hard to replace. There's a number of people that are going to be difficult to replace. Uh, Also people that could potentially defect. That would be quite traumatic. There are people in his inner circle, even today starting to comment about how uncomfortable they are with his policies and they're urging uh, him to reconsider what he's doing in the in the Ukraine. So that's a, you know, and of course, the, some of these oligarchs have got billions of dollars at stake that they, you know, right now it's hard for them to access. Right. So, you know, we just get one of them, you know, to cooperate and uh, help us, um, that would be a big breakthrough because um, I mean, the money is the money is obtainable uh, given the, the number of countries that are cooperating. Right. You know, it's not like, but we, we, but we need to get, we need to come up with a coherent strategy Uh, to, to hunt it down. And uh, that's, that's, you know, that, that'll take some work.
0: Um, one, of, one of the uh, things, uh, w- one of the really impressive, uh, you know, you, you sent me a copy of one of the slides, right? When we were doing the intelligence work uh, on Al Qaeda, we, we, you know, I mean, these were extensive interconnections, right, right down to family members, who they're interacting with, who they're meeting with, and then setting up dossiers so that we understood the totality of that uh, network. And you did a little bit, of, you, you've done a lot of this. Work over the years. Uh, right. I mean, so if the administration is looking for somebody, you might want to call David here as, as somebody yeah, right. who knows, knows. And let's get Juan Zarate into this. So, also, I, I'm, Juan, I'm not trying to <laughs> sign you up for extra duty here, uh, but uh, the nation may, may need you. Um, uh, again, um, how, um, how, how do we need to think uh, at this point, uh, David, about? stopping circumventions, right? I mean, you said that they're starting uh, 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 companies uh, in order to be getting around this. I also wanna bring the chips clearing house. The folks may not recognize that operating in Hong Kong uh, is a clearing house that clears about $1.8 trillion a day. Um, This is used to circumvent uh, you know, our restrictions and indeed sometimes used by our allies and partners uh, to circumvent. Now you have the Chinese trying to introduce the digital uh, uh, reninbi, uh trying to uh, figure out a way to uh, get out of, uh, you know, and, and also, frankly, give people a shelter from dollar-based uh, sanctions, right? So one is an immediate thing. What is it we need to do to shut the door on that? And then secondarily, what does the West and the United States have to do to make sure that the unique position of the dollar is maintained as the global enforcement, right? I mean, there's always this sense that, you know, if, if the United States pulls that lever too much, it may break off in our hands when even our allies and partners say, hey, look, we're sick and tired of being told what to do by Washington. What's the immediate step in making sure that we don't flag, right? A lot of guys want cutouts already and exemptions. Uh, Boeing is asking for that. I'm sure a lot of other people are going to pile in uh, to that Uh you know, what, what are the things we have to do in the immediate sense to maintain discipline? And second, what do we have to do over the longer term to shut some of these clearinghouses that are designed for no other purpose than to allow, you know, corrupt
2: people so, to move so money beyond our reach? Just to clarify, because this is a, uh, this happens all the time for when people get in this very arcane area of clearinghouses, CHIPS is the uh, clearinghouse interbank payment system, which is owned by all the major U.S. banks. And, it, uh, and, it, and it, it, uh, it works alongside the Federal Reserve's Fedwire service for moving the money. These are the things that actually move the money. Uh, SWIFT, which has been designated as the uh, authentication and security uh, layer uh, for, for, for the people use so that they know when they're moving the money, they're actually moving it to somebody who's legit, not illegitimate, uh, trying to pose as a foreign bank. Um, what's with, with the the entity in Hong Kong is called the clearinghouse automated transfer system or chats and it's a real-time gross settlement system for for uh, processing funds uh, uh, in dollars uh, RMB, euros uh, uh, and I think also um, Hong, of course Hong Kong dollars um, <clears throat> and it it is a um, A pretty substantial uh uh, offshore clearing system is the largest that exists Uh, and so you basically can avoid uh having to clear uh or settle your dollar wires when you want to move money let's say from uh you know uh let's say the, 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 the you know the north koreans wanted to get you know weapon sales uh to iran uh back to north korea frequently we found them using this chat system Which, which again, it's really big. It's like eighty-four or ninety times the GDP of of Hong Kong. So, which is pretty large. Um, So, it can move billions and billions of dollars a day, and um, it's uh, it's it's got uh, uh, you know it's it's a way to do this without uh, um, directly intersecting with our sanctions. I mean, in theory, we could. Sanction chats, which is something I've recommended for years. Probably uh, even better would be to use the uh, USA Patriot Act, Section three hundred and eleven, uh, which would regulatorily cut it off from the United States. Um, uh, but even if we did that, uh, uh, it would still probably continue. I mean, this is basically where the relationship between China and Russia, Xi and Putin, really where the rubber really hits the road. If the Russians start to route their Transactions through Hong Kong, which they're already doing, but if they really start to to amp it up here, we're going to have to uh, face down the Chinese simultaneously as well. And so, uh, you know, if you know, this is this is the system. This chat system is the system that, like I found, like Al Qaeda, ISIS, the Kani network, um, the Iranians, uh, the the Pakistani uh, intelligence service. I mean, it was you know every drug trafficker on the face of the earth is moving money through Hong Kong. Uh, uh, and so, you know, that's going to be a problem. Uh, but, you know, the Chinese know that uh, Hong Kong itself uh, it only really exists meaningfully because it's connected to international trade and finance in the U.S. dollar. Uh, and so, you know, they, they, they've got an awful lot to lose uh, uh, if they decide to, to sacrifice their international relationships and uh, in finance uh, to facilitate the covert movement of money for the Russians. Uh, I think we can have that conversation with uh, not just the Chinese central government with the Hong Kong monetary authority. And uh, I've done it before. I have gotten cooperation out of them. Um, It wasn't Banco Delta. It was uh, larger institutions uh, related to North Korea. Um, And and we also worked with them uh, in the case of uh, the Iran sanctions, but, you know, there needs, there needs to be, again, a, a sort of, um, a matrix formed uh, in, a, in a working group, which I think already exists at the NSC, but needs to be really stood up to look at every way that the Russians, including, uh, you know, by using their intelligence service, uh, can try to break these sanctions and, and you know, do what Saddam Hussein successfully did for decades, of course, you know. Um, the sanctions didn't bring him down, and I'm not sure the sanctions will bring Vladimir Putin down, <laughs> but they can contribute to it. And but it, it's going to require... A a type of whack-a-mole now that we've got this wall of uh, of uh, sanctions established, uh, you're now it's going to time it's going to be time to hit every node as it pops up and try to take it down, and we need to incorporate other technologies and capabilities as we do it. It cannot just be uh, sanctions; it's got to be, for example, cyber operations. The internet is uh, the hub of the world financial system. It's uh, It's not easy to take money away from people or reroute transactions because financial institutions have to typically um, reimburse those whose money is lost. Uh, That's sort of uh, just the way it works in international banking. But there's a lot we can do to clog up the works and complicate uh, uh, the ability of certain um, illicit actors in the world financial system to conduct themselves. And there's also things we can do with law enforcement. You know, there's the racketeer influence, corrupt organizations charge, RICO. And if you look at Putin's network, uh, as it was brilliantly uh, 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 described by Navalny, who's the imprisoned uh, opposition leader, put out a paper on the sort of dirty 30 uh, of uh, oligarchs and money managers for Putin. Um, And I'd say I think only about half of those people have been designated, Uh, and and it's certainly all of them need to be. Uh, And but, but, you know, that their network is Putin's network. So we, we, you know, we're going to have to uh, stop discriminating, uh, be, you know, between these these oligarchs and uh, and the Russian state. They're intertwined; they exist together, and uh, we have to be somewhat ruthless toward all of them.
0: Just before we go, because we've got a, a minute or two left. So what happens when the Russians uh, strike back? You've done bank uh, security. The Russians already are talking about offensive uh, cyber measures, uh, doing nuclear uh, saber rattling, and then they have some economic tools uh, of their own uh, that they want to deploy against us, right? I mean, we get titanium sponge, finished titanium products. We depend on them for the world food. Uh, you know, industry depends on uh, fertilizer. High tech industries need neon that comes from Russia, what, how do we respond to Putin's responses?
2: I think the, the, the main thing is that we need to be prepared for a, a maximalist potential cyber attack against our financial exchanges, our major banks, and our uh, clearing houses for settlement of, uh, of transactions. All of these are vulnerable uh, to some extent uh, uh, when you're, they're having to face a government as capable in cyber operations as the Russian government. Uh, it's surprising, frankly, that they haven't launched a, a widespread attack, which may mean that uh, U.S. Cyber Command and, and other, other uh, organizations are doing a, a more effective preemptive defensive job than they, they have uh, demonstrated in the past. I hope so. Uh, or maybe we're just uh, uh, waiting for this to occur uh, because, you know, if they took down the NASDAQ or something for a day, you know, the stock market here would fall, you know, thousands of uh, points or, you know, a dozen percent or something. I mean, it's not it's happened when we've had outages that have occurred just because of software problems. Uh, uh, it, if it happens as part of a, uh, something that goes beyond denial of service, but basically it tries to interfere with uh, the, the computer systems of, of the financial institutions uh, and the markets themselves, it could be a bigger deal. And uh, I'm confident that Ann Neuberger, who's uh, terrific and who I know at the, at the White House, who's in charge of, of cyber defense and offense, is well aware of these things. It's just it's difficult to know what the Russians have in terms of ghosts in our machines. So as we've got uh, the empire uh, ready to strike back and Darth Vader, Putin uh, even threatening nuclear weapons, <laughs> we got to assume that he's got some uh, cyber uh, operational uh, strategies and capabilities that he's probably kept secret for a very long time, but he's going to be willing to deploy here soon. And um, you know, we're just going to have to grin our, grin, uh, bite our teeth uh, hard and uh, take the pain and uh, probably hit back.
0: Even as we do this, we have to be adapting, don't we? Because because the minute that you set a sanction, the other guy works to try to undermine it, right? So, um, what are the things that we even need to be doing going into next week and beyond, David? to continually tune, adjust pressure. Each one of these banks have thousands of subsidiary banks, right? I mean, you're, you're talking many, yeah. many thousands of institutions. And the minute you potentially exempt one, you open a door, right? I mean, And that's how unfortunately we've done it. Well, you know, this is important for this and we wanna be targeted and we don't wanna to be too tough. I mean, this time it looks like we are being tough and our attitude is, you know, we're, we're not just sparing the leadership. We're, the Russian people are gonna bear a part of this burden. Well- um,
2: yeah I mean one of the key things is I mean I was just looking at VTB bank uh, which is a critical bank for leadership finance as well as the second largest bank in Russia uh, it's got a major uh, subsidiary in Kazakhstan and that's directly tied to Igor Sechin who's known as one of Putin's bagmen financially as well um, uh, you know Sechin as you see his name directly involved as a director or as a uh, uh, owner of that, uh, subsidiary. I, I don't know that that subsidiary has even been listed. I'm assuming it has. I haven't looked in detail at the treasury's VTV sanctions, because there's just been so many sanctions coming out, but uh, they can run a lot of money through places like Kazakhstan, through places like Cyprus. They can, they can go South Africa. Um, they, I mean, they're, they're, this is, this is, this is a, uh, you know, uh, this is where financial intelligence really comes to, to, uh, into play. And, um, uh, we, we need to resource our financial intelligence capabilities uh, maximally. We need to have uh, uh, large teams of, of analysts in the intelligence community pouring over data. And we need to apply things like machine learning and artificial intelligence, an area that I worked on developing for uh, the intelligence community, um, uh, applied at scale. Because no one person can try to follow all this data. We drown in it. Uh, so we need to be willing to use our technical uh, Systems for, for processing in information flow, not all of which, by the way, is classified. A lot of it's unclassified data, but you need to interlace it with the classified data. We don't do a good job at that. So you need to take unclassified corporate registry data and you got to match it up in real time with a wire, sanction, wire transfer money uh, 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 you know, indicators. And just, you know, you got to sort of see what, where they're sp- uh, sort of establishing new ground. And we need to actually get at uh, some of these oligarchs and some of these money. And hopefully the CIA and others uh, who are very good at this already have excellent relations there in terms of penetration, but uh, you know, it's only, there's going to be new actors coming about. It should not be treated uh, uh, like an on-off switch or a, a faucet. You just turn the hot water on and off or, you know, mix it in with a little bit of cold water. And adjust the sanctions. Once you start these things, you got to sort of understand that they're they're not really designed to f- ever really fully go away. To the extent that Putin has established himself as a uh, an evil individual who needs to be stopped. I mean, you know, we the government's going to have to come to that decision, and that's not something that I noticed that Jake Sullivan and others have been willing to, to articulate. They've they've not been in favor of like, for example, hard containment against China and even its nuclear, biological, chemical weapons program. Um, they've been, you know, always trying to look at uh, coercive statecraft, i.e., sanctions, as a means of uh, just generating leverage. I just don't see it like that. I want to. I, we need to go back to the <coughs> Ronald <coughs> Ronald Reagan playbook in the 1980s, when he in 1982 signed a, a presidential directive that basically put the United States in a covert financial war footing against the Soviet Union, and it proceeded to right. do. Uh, tremendous damage to the Soviet regime and did uh, most definitely contribute to the downfall of, of, of the Soviet Union. I mean, my goal here would be, this is the beginning of uh, a program that will extend into many other areas of operation and influence to try to uh, target Putin's own uh, grip, grip, you know, his grip on power and to unsettle him. But we got to also be ready for, you know, him to counter like I said. And, and, and when he makes these nuclear threats over Financial sanctions, that's a new one. No one's ever done that before beyond the North Koreans, which never we never really took seriously. This is um, this is serious business. So we have to understand that, you know, when you go to economic war, you are increasing the risk of conflict at some level or another. It's not something you can just play around with.
0: So. David, uh, thanks so very much. Really appreciate it. Great conversation. Looking Already looking forward to having you back on. And now a word from our sponsor, retired United States Army Major General Jeff Schlosser, who is the Executive Vice President for Strategic Pursuits at Bell. We've been building creative and innovative aircraft, next generation types of capabilities for almost nine decades. Bell is the company that can deliver that.